Welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. March Madness is uh, one week done, and wow, uh, what a tournament it's been. We have so much college basketball to get to here. Uh, it's gone exactly like we thought, and not exactly like we thought. Travis Krins, uh, my good friend, sports director at KR and Radio there in Mitchell, joins me, as always. Um, and Travis, before we get to March Madness here... Uh, you were out west last week for Boys State Championship Basketball in Rapid City. Mitchell was there. Tell us how the events of last week unfolded out there for you. Oh, it was a good tournament. Mitchell was the three seed. They got to the championship. First time they've done that in 11 years. Excellent. Um, they were trying to win it first time since 2005. Ended up losing to Yankton by four, 65-61. So very, very memorable weekend for many reasons out in Rapid City. So they had a welcome home thing at the Corn Palace last night at 7.30. And that went about 90 minutes. And coaches and players got up there, and it was emotional. And Like when people think of Mitchell, if they're not from here or even from the area, First thing I think of with Mitchell is the Corn Palace. Mm-hmm. The first thing they think of is basketball. So it was uh, it was a big deal that they got back to the state tournament final. Okay, because of, of course you got Mike Miller, Macy Miller, the whole like uh, Miller family there. That's why I think that's got to be why people think uh, correlate basketball with Mitchell, right? We've got a lot of history and a lot of great players. I think they've won sixteen titles on the. Uh, on the men's side, I think maybe five or six on the girls' side. So it's – you hate to say, you know, the SEC, it means more. But <laughs> maybe it means a, a tick more when uh, you're a Mitchell Curl rather than if you're at most other schools. So it was a big weekend to kind of get back to where things used to be back in the day, back in the 80s and 90s and – in early 2000s, so that was that was fun, and, and then kind of their theme of it was proving the doubters wrong, because they had a very good team and came very close to winning the entire thing. But people, media people who have no idea what they're talking about, thought Pierre was going to beat Mitchell in, in the first game because Pierre had been playing well at the end of the regular season. Uh, they played. A few weeks ago, it was a close game. Mitchell beat him by seven. And second game, I think Mitchell maybe controlled the state tournament game even more. They ended up winning by nine, 60 to 51. And a close game where Mitchell would be up by eight or ten. Pierre would you know, come back and, and rally and make it close. And I think Pierre had a, I think Pierre was up two or tied with like four minutes left. So close game. But Mitchell, they, they beat Pierre twice. They're just the better team, so. They, they use that as extra motivation to say, you know, people didn't pick us, so screw them. Then in the uh, semifinals, they beat Sioux Falls Lincoln 61-59, and that was, that, that, I mean, that, was a, that was an upset. They've got JT Raku 7-1, and he's going to join the Outselberger at Iowa State. And, oh. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, he had like 20 points, 13 rebounds. He was kind of shut down. He only made five shots. He was 10 of 10 at the foul line. So, um, so they win that one. And then you go in and Yankton, they knock off the one seed Jefferson. So it's three versus four. 
and then Mitchell trailed most of the game and then just took a two-point lead with two and a half minutes to go, but then ended up losing by four. So it was a uh, very exciting tournament. Fan, media member, player, you know, they, they exceeded – I think everybody's else expectations, but not their own, because they, I mean, the goal is to win the thing, and they knew they were good enough to win it, and they almost did. I was just going to ask what the level of surprise was with this run in the state tournament for them to get to the championship game and come up so close. Like, they beat Pierre, and that, that was, that wasn't an upset at all, but it's a game they had to win, because this is their third straight time in the state tournament and it was time for them to get make a run and beating Pierre wasn't a surprise it's something they had to do and they did beating Lincoln was a very good win the best win of the season but when they played in January at Lincoln they lost by one they lost on a offensive putback layup with like 12 seconds to go so they played with them two months ago and they lost by one and they really controlled that entire game. They were up by 10 points, and I said, hey, maybe Lincoln's going to show up for this game. We'll find out. And they finally did a little bit, and it was close at the end. And so they, they beat them. It shouldn't really be much of a surprise because they they should have beat them back in January. Mm-hmm. And then Yank, they, they beat Yankton earlier in the year in a very odd game. But uh, Mitchell was down 15 at the half. They outscored him by 22 in the second half. I rebounded him by 18. And it wasn't quite that extreme, but Mitchell was down 13 with like two and a half minutes to go until halftime. Made a run. They were down six at halftime. You're thinking Mitchell played absolutely terrible in the first half and they're down six. Mm-hmm. They're down four as we go to the fourth. And they take a late lead. You think, all right, they're going to pull this out. Uh, but they didn't. So they were, they, they shot 66% in the second half. Yankton made six shots. They made one shot in the fourth quarter. Uh, free throws were a big difference. Curls had 19 turnovers. Yankton had six. Yankton shot 15 more free throws. They made 11 more. And somehow Mitchell still lost by four. Was the so was the officiating bad? Were these legit calls? Like, is there any controversy? No, they're, they're, they're fine. They're legit calls. Okay, okay. A couple of them were where you know, fouls at the end where you got a foul. Right. Sometimes when you yeah. see that disparity yeah. in 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 free throws and yeah. stuff, there's a like, oh, was this game called fairly? But you know, when you're turning the ball over, you know, three times yeah. as many times as your opponent, that's that's not a, exactly a recipe for success. No, a lot, of, a lot of legit fouls, and Mainton um, started over six from the line. They were all the same player. Missed his first six free throws, oh. and he's not that bad of a foul shooter. So things evened out at the end. But yeah, very, very exciting to, to see them do that. So that was a that that was the good part of the weekend in Rapids. Well, very good. Well, I um, congrats on a good season. Now you're all done with basketball, right? So now it's. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just some baseball and and uh, that you probably have to call maybe a couple softball games. Is that correct for the spring? Yeah, we'll see if we get some baseball in. And we're playing softball. It's sanctioned through the activities association for the first time ever. Uh, before it was just club baseball, but now it's through the activities association. So okay. I don't know. I'd maybe like to do like that first game 
of that. Yeah. And maybe postseason games, but we'll see what, what comes out of that. So with your weekend out in Rapid City and calling all those games and whatnot, how much of the NCAA tournament did you see? Not much at all. I didn't see anything on Thursday. I got to see the important stuff. I got to see Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue, which is the least surprising upset ever. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see Princeton, Arizona. Uh, I got to see... I watched like the first couple minutes of Kansas, Arkansas, and then I saw the last 30 seconds. So, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson was the big one yep. that I got to see. And the teams that usually lose, lost. I don't know why, but they always do. Purdue, Virginia, mm-hmm. Kansas, Arizona. Uh, the Marquette was the big heartbreaker for me. Yep, as but it was for me. I'm sitting in a pretty good spot, I think. So... There's there's so much to get to here from this NCAA tournament. Um, you know, I think... It, it, it feels like at no other time in the season would Princeton have beaten Arizona. Right. Like, if they would have played in some preseason tournament, yep. they would have played in the middle of January. And in what world would Fairleigh Dickinson have beaten Purdue? Would any of these things have happened? Exactly. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. Um, and that's the beauty of... Of March Madness. That's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. That's the beauty of this month is all that that goes on. So I, I think you know we're, I'm looking at this at this bracket here, and I think it is both expected and unexpected. I think it was expected that we were going to see some chaos. We were going to see a bunch of upsets. It it's surprising because I think we didn't know necessarily who was going to get upset or where those upsets were going to come. Some some dumbass who hosts a podcast filled out for one of his brackets, picked Purdue. I don't know why he would do that, uh, but he's an idiot, and he will remember that going forward. I don't know why I picked Purdue to win the whole damn thing. I just went out on a win, thought I'd try it, and uh, got burned by that. You said that was the least surprising upset. Yes. There, I'm gonna say to a degree it is, and also not because Fairleigh Dickinson is a the shortest the shortest team not only in in the NCAA tournament but in all of college basketball. They are like ranked one of the worst teams in all of college basketball, and I I think this is an indictment on not only Purdue head coach Matt Painter but maybe the whole Purdue ideology and basketball program as a whole how do you not feed seven foot four seven foot five zach Eady time and time again against this short lineup now i'll be i'll be honest here fairly dickinson who shouldn't have even been in the ncaa tournament here with you know merrimack was eligible they won the nec they should like so this is i think this makes the the upset of purdue all that more surprising and it is the second 16 seed ever to beat a one seed. UMBC beating Virginia five years, I believe, to the day that Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue. So you know, you talk about that—that's a—that's very interesting in and of itself. But the way that Fairleigh Dickinson was flying around the court—you know—they were just so fast and you know trying to get deflections, and Purdue couldn't shoot from beyond the arc at all. I mean, it was. Atrocious, but we saw that against Penn State in the Big Ten Championship game, and you know throughout the, I guess the, you know the year they they just struggled from shooting outside the arc. But there is still 
no reason that Purdue should have lost that game if they could just have a competent game plan, and that game plan should have been centered around Zach Eady getting the ball time and time again because Fairley Dickinson didn't have anyone who should have been able to, to guard him. Yeah, it should have been fairly easy, and Fairley Dickinson was what? Uh-huh, pun intended? Uh-huh. Pun intended? I mean, Pun intended, fairly easy, fairly Dickinson. No, no, another one, no, no, did not see that coming, no. <laughs> not smart enough to do that. Uh, Drew, Drew was wondering before the game, uh, what is his, one of his biggest regrets is not put 25 bucks on fairly Dickinson just to win. Wow. I saw the game, like, you know, I wanted, I wanted to pick Purdue to lose to Memphis, or I think to Memphis, but Memphis didn't get there. Mm-hmm. So I had for Purdue winning two and then losing to Duke. Yep, I wanted to take them to lose uh, their their second round matchup. So no, I didn't believe in this Purdue team at all. I think he had you know last week. I think it talked about how Jim Nance and Grant Hill and everybody this Purdue team seems primed for a Final Four. Yeah, the fuck they do. They yep. can't even win a game. Yep. Like what about them? Say you know Penn State comes back and almost wins that game. What about Purdue makes you think they're primed for a Final Four? Yep. So it's, you know, Melissa filled out a bracket, and she's doing fairly well in it. And it's like you, you watch these games; you don't watch them. It doesn't matter when it comes to this. You go back to the, to the Mitchell and Peer stuff. People picking Peer, and people had watched Mitchell all year. Mm-hmm. They just look at the scores; like they don't know anything. And, and so much of this is trying to predict: oh, this team's going to win. That team's going to win. This player's going to do well. Is this NFL draft pick's going to do well? And like you just, you know, the, the system. I don't know. Is broke. There's just no way to ever know about any of these any of these things that are ever going to happen. You look back right. at the last three appearances by Purdue in the NCAA tournament. Oh. Um, so the, counting this year, they lose to a 16 seed in Fairleigh Dickinson. Last year, they made it to the Sweet 16 but lost to 15 seed St. Peter's. Um, so Purdue playing schools from the state of New Jersey, not great. The year before that, in the you know the kind of COVID bubble year in, in Indianapolis, they lost to a 13-seed North Texas. So Purdue the last three years has been a four-seed, and I what were they? Uh, must have been like a, a three-seed last year. Uh, let, let, let me see here. Uh, oh, the 7 out of 10. Were they, uh, did they make the Sweet 16, or was it the second round? No, they, they made it to the Sweet 16. Um, <laughs> 7 out of 10. Or, uh, yeah, three or six, I guess. Yeah, let, let, they were a three last year. They were a three. Um, like Virginia, you can understand because they don't score a lot of points, even yep. though they scored sixty some points in this in this Furman game. Yep. And the way they, and the way they gave it away, they made no way they should have lost that game. Oh yeah, and, and Kevin Harlan, by the way, the call of the tournament so far. Have you seen video of this? Yes. It's it's unbelievable, and it just he's the, the best. He is. <laughs> He, he absolutely is. For him to hold back Stan Van Gundy, like, just say, shut up, Stan. And Stan's not even saying it. Stan Van Gundy, who I think has done a very good job, it did a good job with, with him and Dan Bonner, uh, Kevin Harlan and stuff, that three-man crew. He's just sitting back there like, what the fuck just happened? And, yeah. uh, but, you know, for Kevin Harlan to just say, let's just let this, let's soak in this moment, just look at what's going on here. We don't need the analysis right now. And that was the, like the, I said, I think I tweeted it. That was the dumbest decision I think I've ever seen 
in the NCAA tournament. One of them by Kihei Clark. And we remember, we saw Kihei Clark in Minneapolis at the Final Four back in 2019. And he was... Yeah, and he, he seems like he's been around forever. This is his last oh, year. How the hell did that four years ago? How the hell is he still around? I, it's a great question. Um, well, same thing. How is Drew Timmy still around from Gonzaga? Uh, but we've seen him make clutch play after clutch play. He has a guy right on the baseline there that he should have thrown to, and he had a timeout. I have no idea what he is even thinking. Maybe he thought there was only three seconds left and not six. It's or seven. It's such a terrible decision by Kihei Clark to make that pass, and so. You know, we were nearly robbed. If you replay that moment over 100 times, and he does the exact same thing 100 times, throws it away. Like, how many times does Furman hit a three? 20% of the time? Ooh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say at least 33%. So. And what's fascinating is that uh, Pagis guy uh, had missed his last 15 threes before that shot. I mean, so if Kihei Clark doesn't make that terrible decision, we're denied, A, Kevin Harlan's great call, and B, one of the finishes of the tournament thus far. Yeah, it is the best finish. Iron Eagle's very good, and he's taking over for Jim Nance, isn't he? Yes, he is, yep. It should be Kevin Harlan. It should. (laughs) He is... He's the right mix of everything you want. Because well, he's probably what in his early sixties. Kevin. So, yeah. Oh yeah, I would say so. We, we should get him for a number of years ahead. So you know, Iron Eagle probably what in his fifties, I think. Late forties, early fifties. So he'll be around for a while. So a little bit younger, but there's a reason. Yeah, Kevin Harlan is the reason why he's my been my Facebook profile for the last ten years. Yes. So, he. Uh, an excellent call on a crazy finish that we really haven't, haven't seen before. And he, right before that, he's saying, oh, they have Kihei Clark in a straight jacket. Like, it's just... It's, the words he uses yes. are tremendous. Yes. Just incredible. So that's one of the moments of the tournament thus far. But just quickly going back to Purdue. It's again, it's an indictment on Purdue for not feeding Zach Eady time and time again. And just the the issues that they have had. And I guess even that correlates to, to Virginia. You look at what Tony Bennett had go on. Apart from the year they won the national championship, again, 2019 in Minneapolis, we were at the Final Four there. He's lost to a 16 seed uh, in UMBC. He didn't make the tournament last year. This year he loses to a 13 seed Furman. The year before that, he loses to 13 seed Ohio. Or maybe that was, maybe that was last year. Either way, yeah, I think no, that was two years. Regardless, he is not uh, the the outlier for Tony Bennett and Virginia in the NCAA tournament in recent memory is that Final Four run and that national championship. Otherwise, they don't they don't win games. So I think that's something to take into account for next year unless they have this thoroughly dominant team. Because they don't have a Kyle guy. They don't have a DeAndre Hunter or any of these other guys. They had stars on that Virginia team that we saw in Minneapolis. They don't have that. I mean, it wasn't that Purdue should have beat them. Or was that Elite Eight, Sweet 16? I mean, Virginia... Oh, uh, Auburn in the Final Four. Oh, no, there was a Purdue and Tennessee game that was... 
There were, I felt like Virginia played somebody, and they were lucky to win that game. Well, that, I know that was in the Final Four with Auburn. Remember, that was that... Um... I thought it, it was sometime, like, before on their run. Or I feel like, like, Virginia had the ball, like, at half court with, like, three seconds to got tipped away. Maybe Virginia had the ball, like, three seconds to go at half court and still won. If that was a different game, I don't know. I thought it was, like, a Virginia... Oh, you're right, yes. Yep, that, that was Purdue. That was in the Elite Eight. That Street the, 16 game like that, like that is lucky to have ever, 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 yes. ever happened. Yes, because that game went to overtime. And, yeah. Yep, and that propelled them there. So yeah, that's um, yeah, that's certainly something too. So Virginia, um, that's a, that's a bad loss. I mentioned Arizona losing to Princeton. I'm watching this game and I'm thinking like, okay, Arizona's got this, and then. Arizona just couldn't score at all. The entire, like, the last five minutes. Princeton ends the game on a 9-0 run. Arizona has just this terrible offense going on here. This is, I think, one of the more stunning results of this NCAA tournament in that Arizona scores so many points and Princeton just put the clamps on them. And it's not because of this Princeton offense and they slow the game down. Arizona just sucked. It, it should be impossible for Arizona to lose against Princeton. It should, yeah. And to score 50 points, no less. 50. Just the athletes they have. 55, the I guess. Sorry. 55. I talked about Ballo last week and the other guy. They're just... Yeah, I mean, they, uh, how, how do you lose to Princeton? I don't know. That Princeton blows out Missouri. Just... Not even close. Yeah, they don't look like a 15 seed, do they? I mean, <laughs> and then the old Creighton. This is it's right here for Creighton. Then get the lead, the lead eight. Yep. yep. So it's, I, I yeah, I don't know, coaching. Uh, these should be fairly easy matchups when you have that big of a physical advantage. Most of the time, but how do we lose a game like this when, you know? We're just superior across the board, but that's why they play it because it only needs to happen once. And yep. again, it was, it, it was a surprise that they lost, but then it's also not because Arizona usually doesn't live up to expectations, and we, and we know that, and we can continue to know that for future years. And oh yeah, don't take Arizona to win more than a game or two. We have not had an overtime game yet in the NCAA tournament, but we've had some great finishes. Uh, the Mem- I think the best finish was Memphis, Florida, Atlantic Friday night. This is after Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue. And Memphis with just... I, I don't really know what exactly they were doing. You know, they call... So, it's... They have the ball with 17 seconds left, and they're up by one. And Florida Atlantic is trying to trap, or and I don't know why they weren't trying to follow ahead of time. But the, Memphis had a timeout in hand. Rather than use it, you know, they're close to half court. The Memphis guy throws it, and it gets tipped, and, 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 uh, and they turn it over. And Florida Atlantic goes down, and then they lose it, and Memphis jumps on the ball like they have it and there are two guys calling timeout and the refs don't see 
either either guy called timeout. And this is they call a jump ball. Possession arrow in favor of Florida Atlantic. This is, I think, one of the most atrocious calls of the tournament thus far because this isn't even really all that close to a jump ball. Memphis has nearly full possession. Yes, the FAU's guy's hands are on it, but not, not like, oh... I am like ripping it away. Memphis has a 95 to 98% grasp of the ball. And you have two guys calling timeout on either side and they don't call it just it, it's such a bad it it's a bad look but then Florida Atlantic's uh you know, about to inbound it cuz you have the they're, they're reviewing the play clock and whatnot. And right before they do that, Memphis still has a timeout left. And Penny Hardaway inexplicably uses that timeout. And, and I don't know why. Because he if you give up a bucket there with two, and they give up the go-ahead bucket with two and a half seconds to go, Florida Atlantic takes a 66-65 lead. You could have that timeout still to draw up a play instead of having to frantically get something together and try and get a shot off at half court and they didn't even get that so just the way this whole game ended for penny hardaway in memphis it just makes me wonder if he's really fit for coaching um at this level it, it, it was a great ending but just some some bad misses by the refs and, and head scratching very puzzling decisions by penny hardaway in memphis so it's like the nfl coaching problem where some of these guys like i say are just dumb they don't know what to do when it comes down to it. Yes. Like, just because your head coach doesn't mean you know what to do or what you should do at the end of the game, how to use your timeouts. Did he tell his players, hey, we've got one timeout left. You get stuck, use it. We're not going to end this game with a timeout. You need to use the timeout. We're not turning the ball over. Well, this is the same thing with Kihei Clark, too. I mean, you have a timeout, use it. Like, I don't understand why, like, why this even happens. I don't either. You're stuck. Time out. Fine. You use the time out, you probably win the game. So, it's very frustrating to sit back, and I'm sure in the moment, it's tough, but that's what you're here for, to, to make the right play. So, mm-hmm. very frustrating. Um, also, uh, the, the TCU-Gonzaga game may be the best game of the tournament. That was in the second round. Just the back and forth between the Zags and TCU-Gonzaga wins at the end, but the, all, one of the ultimate bad beats you'll ever see uh, with TCU hitting that three-pointer with seven-tenths of a second left. Yeah, it's just amazing. Um, so I would say those are some of the best games. Uh, Arkansas and Kansas, that was a fantastic finish. But Kansas royally botched this one. I don't know if you saw any highlights of it, but they're up by, I think, four. And there's like two and a half, three minutes left. They just get a stop. And they lackadaisically bring it up the court, uh, to half court, and they don't get it across before the 10 seconds run off. And that just swung momentum all the way in favor of Arkansas at that point because they get a couple buckets. Like, you're up by four at this point. You can... Take 20, 30 seconds off the clock. You can um, you can maybe get another bucket, go up by six or seven. You win that game. Arkansas does not win this game, I don't think, if that 10-second um, call 
doesn't happen, and that is a full indictment on Kansas. Whether or not Bill, if Bill Self is on the on the sideline there, if that matters at all for that specific play or for the game in general, I don't know. They lose 72-71, but a very that was a very good game as well. But Kansas with a, a big big head scratching decision there, and that that was a, a play that ultimately I think really turned the game around and swung momentum for Arkansas. I saw the first couple of minutes and they're just beating the hell out of Arkansas. I had a good run, Arkansas. Then I don't see anything for like the next two hours. And then somebody plops a phone in front of my face and says, hey, Arkansas is going to beat Kansas. I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. So that was another, it was a surprise, but then it wasn't a surprise because Kansas does what Kansas does. So, yep. like those are teams like I'm just not ever going to pick them. And then the weird thing is, like, you know, Kansas won it all last year. Virginia has a national title. Villanova, Bobby won one. But then when they don't do that, a lot of times they fall very, very short. Mm -hmm. So So a couple of things of note here that I've gathered from the NCAA tournament uh, that I have marked down so I remember for next year. It has been, it's been six years now since the defending national champion has made it to the Sweet 16 the following year. That is amazing. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but that, that that's just the way it is. Eric Musselman in Arkansas, three straight Sweet 16s. So that is something to keep in mind as well. He he just does it at Arkansas. Uh, oh, Mar- yeah. One more on your list, which I'm sure is on there. Yep. Stupid-ass Michigan State. Yeah, I got to pick Michigan State now to win at least two games because that's all Tom Izzo seems to do, which correlates into another point here. Apparently, if you weren't ranked in the – this doesn't happen every year, but teams that are unranked to begin the season and end up finishing with a one or a two seed fail to win two games – like two games is the most that they win in the NCAA tournament. So this year, those two teams were Purdue and Marquette that finished with a top two seed that were unranked at the beginning of the college basketball season. They combined to win one game. So that's something to keep in mind for next year as well. And also, apparently Miami, Florida has made it to more Sweet 16s over the last decade or five years than Florida State and Florida. So, Jim Laranaga, whatever he does there, it's good. It's stuff that I will need to remember for next year. And inevitably, it won't happen. Like, everything that you pick against now that you've given, that all these stats come out, then, you know, it's just going to all go by the wayside. But those are interesting notes there. Uh, the, The Mountain West hadn't won a game since 2018 in the NCAA tournament. San Diego State finally Broke that, and uh, they are in the Sweet 16. Uh, good game against Charleston, and then they beat Furman rather convincingly. And I would say that one of the, the biggest surprises in this NCAA tournament so far, Tennessee's offense, specifically against Duke. Uh, let me get the guy's name. It's like Kamchoda or something. He had like 24, 26 points against Duke. Knocking threes down left and right. If this was the Tennessee team that we... If we had seen this Tennessee team in the regular season and post Zakai Ziegler's injury, 
I would have given them more credit. I would have said, hey, yeah, they can make it to the Sweet 16. They can take down a Duke or someone like that. But we didn't see that. We didn't see their offensive uh, firepower, this this prowess that they that they displayed against Duke. Yes, they only scored 65 points, but their defense was sensational in that game. But what, would they have the offense to be able to support that defense? I didn't think they would. And, yeah, this Olivier... Uh, Kamoa scores 26 points and 27 points and just absolutely dominates the game and is the difference maker for Tennessee. We see that. I might think of Tennessee differently. So I would say they're definitely one of the surprises of the tournament thus far. I didn't have them win the game. Almost like they almost gave it to Louisiana. Yes. Yep. Almost did. And then, yeah, Duke, I was pretty confident Duke was going to beat them. And, of course, it didn't happen. So, yeah, Duke was playing so well and Tennessee was not. And this takes one game, one, one good run. And nobody can predict it. Nobody knows knows who's going to show up on a given night. So, I mean, they've got a real good shot to reach the Final Four now. Yes. <laughs> Them, Kansas State's in the mix. Or they've got... I, that that region, I think I'm completely done. Yeah, left. That's the biggest mess of a region, and yeah, there's just nothing left in that region. That was a big old mess. I gotta apologize to Melissa and all of Kansas State Wildcat Nation. I didn't really know what this Kansas State team was this year. I didn't know why they were so successful, and I should have paid more attention to Marquise Noel. Because he is phenomenal. The way he distributes the basketball. And he nailed three, two or three monster threes in that game against Kentucky. I thought Kentucky was going to win that game. And he took over when they needed it to the most. So uh, to Kansas State Wildcat Nation, I'm sorry. I should have paid more attention. I knew about Keontae Johnson. I didn't know about you know how great this Marquise Noel is. But phenomenal player. And Kansas State... You would think has a good, has a real good shot against Michigan State, but again, this is this is Tom Izzo's month. I mean, this is just what he does. Um, like Kentucky, I said last week, they're just not good. What was the other team? I forget the other team that I said. I just don't like them. Maybe Indiana. I don't know. My my big regret after the fact was, oh, I didn't pick Indiana to go to the Sweet Sixteen. I did have picked them to at least beat Kent State, but I did pick Miami to beat Indiana. And, you know, Indiana was probably going to go on a run here. It could be Houston maybe, but, no, they got blown out by Miami. Mm-hmm. But Kentucky just wasn't – they just didn't live up to – they should have been better. They should have been a lot better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Oscar Sheepway, I think, in the two games combined had uh, – he had 24. Five rebounds, I believe, against Providence, and 18 against Kansas State. 43 rebounds in two games. I mean, this guy is just a monster. He's a vacuum when it comes to sucking up rebounds. Uh, Xavier with, you know, down by 13 against the 14 seed. Oh, What's that? Yeah, that was like the big upset. I, I switched because I had him in the final four. And I switched to Texas. Yep. Like, Jesus Christ, Xavier. Let's. Let's beat Kennesaw State at least. Let's not do this. So that was good to think. 
So they come back and then they just and they take care of Pitt, who beat Iowa State in one of the. Oh yeah, Iowa State! What a stutter that one! They're down twenty-two to two at one point, and apparently there was some issue with the rim or whatever, like the in the shoot around, and they're like, "Hey, can we get this fixed?" The NCAA does, and they say, "Do you want more time to shoot around?" And Iowa State says, "No." And they say after the game, we're not using that as an excuse at all. Well, I would hope not, because Pitts, Pittsburgh has to shoot on that end of the, you know, of the court as well and shoot on that hoop for a half. And they still were able to put up more points than Iowa State did. That was one of the worst offensive performances I think we've ever seen in, a, in an NCAA tournament game. There was no result that I enjoyed more than Pitt just beating the hell. Out of Iowa State, at no, at no time was that game even closer competitive. Yep, it's my favorite favorite pick of the whole tournament. Iowa State did make a run to end the first half. There, they got it to within seven because it was like a it was twenty or twenty two point lead, and you cut it down to seven. You're like, okay, Pitt, let, let's get going here, and then. No worries in the second half. They take care of business. But Xavier moves on. They're going to face Texas. Texas looks really good. They handled Colgate. They beat Penn State. The Penn State, uh, very impressive against A&M. Um, uh, we don't know if uh, their head coach, Shrewsbury, if he's going to – he's rumored to be in with the Notre Dame uh, in the mix for the Notre Dame head coaching job there. We have plenty – we have some big head coaching news to talk about here momentarily as well. Uh, but – Penn State, awfully impressive. And you mentioned Indiana. Let's let's give some props to the Miami Hurricanes for beating Indiana in both the men's and women's NCAA tournaments in the round of 32. The Miami, Florida women go to, they have to play in Bloomington, so it's a de facto road game, kind of like what the Jackrabbit women had to do in Virginia Tech. And they beat Indiana 70-68. to So Indiana basketball... Uh, ran, uh, they got rocked by a hurricane. Uh, I did. So, this has been a great tournament so far. I know everyone's brackets are, you know, just to shit, especially, I think, in the East region. A lot of people, the South region, I think, the the region that makes, I would say, I think it's more so on the, on the right side, probably the Midwest, everyone's doing fairly well in, um, you know, you have a one seed, a five seed, a two and a three. The, the West isn't good because you had Kansas losing to Arkansas there, but you know the rest is it's two, three, four, and an eight. So I mean that's good. The the East a a nine, a four, a three, and a seven. Nope. And then in the South a one and a five, a six and a fifteen. And honestly, I'm not surprised by the by Alabama. San Diego State or Creighton at all? It's it's Princeton that really is shocked everyone because a lot of people had Arizona uh, going to the Final Four, potentially winning it all. It's like Arizona and Kansas knocked a lot of people's brackets out. Yeah, I'm sitting pretty good, second. I'm sitting pretty good. Um, going seventh because here I uh, Marquette was the one Final Four team I lost. Yep. I only had Kansas winning two. I only had Purdue winning two. That is so those are all those are all big, big losses. Arizona had them winning three. But like my my potential points left is good. 
you know, Alabama and Houston kind of scare me because of their top guys being injured and banged up and and whatnot. But I feel like you know, Alabama should beat San Diego State. Yep. Um, Creighton, that I mean, Alabama Creighton. If that happens, I'll I'll watch that. I want to watch that offense. Lots of points. Yep. That should be a good <clears throat> good game. Uh, Houston. You know, I've got Texas coming out of that region. Uh, and we'll see. You know, Miami and Houston. Miami's hot right now. So, yeah, it's. I'm in a good spot myself. So I think Melissa's in a good spot. Yep. So I, I did. I did not. And once Alabama's done, I'm done. But I did not have the big, the big bra- bracket buster because you got you know Purdue and Kansas, and I just never feel comfortable picking those teams to. To win anything significant, so yeah. I think with Houston, you know, they were down by ten at half to Auburn in the second round, and then they and then they blitzed them. They won eighty-one sixty-four, so they outscored them by twenty-seven points. I think it was like fifty-three to twenty-six or something after half. Um, they were just outstanding against Auburn there in that second half. So I think you know Marcus Sasser and. And uh, Jamal Shedd, those guys are good. They have this other, this, this freshman who comes in. What's his last, uh, let me get his last name here. I think it's like Mark or something like that. He was outstanding um, filling in because there was some foul trouble. And he was just amazing. So that was good to see. Let, let's get this pulled up here. Alabama looks good. I do think San Diego State has really impressed me as well because of their offense. Um, that could give Alabama a little bit of uh, some troubles, especially with San Diego State's defense. Uh, but that's good. Yes, this uh, this guy, uh, Mark is his last name, uh, for Houston. Let's get him pulled up here. Let's give him some props. Team Mark, uh, what, what do we got here for a full name? Either way, he, uh, Traymon Mark, he's a junior. Averaged 10 points for the year. He had 26 against Auburn. So he was outstanding. Houston gets the win. And may I also just point out that Drake shit the bed something fierce against Miami. They were up, I believe, by 8 or 9 over Miami. That was in the first round. It was a 12-5 matchup. They were outscored 16-1 or 18-1 to in the game. They lose 63-56. to they had a lead. They had almost a 10-point lead, a 9-point lead with five minutes to go, one point the remainder of the game. So, Drake, that is a massive bed shitting. This is the rare year, maybe one of the only times ever, where I'm looking forward to the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 because I didn't get to watch the first two rounds. There you go. I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing some of this, uh, seeing Alabama. So, you know, UCLA Gonzaga might be a bit too late for me, but they've played great games in the past, so we'll see if they got another one up their sleeves. So. I, a lot of people are talking about, okay, the Blue Bloods aren't in it. You know, like UNC didn't even make the tournament, and, you know, Kentucky has bowed out. Duke has bowed out. Uh, Indiana, some people would, would say, you know, have bowed out. But you still have UCLA, Michigan State making that surprise run. And I like seeing some of these upsets and, you know, some of these teams like, uh, you know, obviously uh, Princeton being a, a surprise. FAU, you know, making it to the Sweet 16. I like seeing these these storylines 
unfold. So yeah, you might say, oh, some of the ratings aren't going to be great, but more uh, TNT's game uh, between Fairleigh Dickinson and Purdue, 4.37 million people watched it. It's the most people that have ever watched uh, a game in the NCAA tournament on TNT. In fact, the ratings, the numbers have been better for the tournament this year than they have ever before. We'll see if that trend continues for the Sweet 16. I would, I would guess it will to a degree because you do have these fascinating stories like like a Princeton, and you know you do have some really good matchups. I mean Gonzaga UCLA doesn't that just in the Sweet 16 doesn't that immediately bring up thoughts of uh, you know uh, Adam Morrison and you know him, him falling and crying on the court or whatever a few uh, from a number of years ago. I mean. They played in the you know, the final four in Indianapolis a couple years ago. That that shot by Jalen Suggs. I mean that that's a tremendous matchup there. So I'm looking forward to that. And also, I don't know if you this was kind of surprised me. The tip times are earlier this year on TBS. They're getting better at this shit sack, and they're getting better at it. Put these games on when people are awake, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Don't start them at 9 o'clock, for goddamn sake, Central Park. Jesus Christ. So, normally, in, in the past, it's been CBS would have the first game. That would be at 7.10. And then the TBS game would start at 7.27 Eastern, Eastern time. And then, of course, it's a half hour after the, the first game is done. That's when the second game begins. Well, this year... TBS for Thursday and Friday will have games on at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 Central Time. So nearly a full hour earlier for them. The CBS games will still start roughly the same time, 6.15 uh, for the first game, 7.15 p.m. Eastern, and then 9.45 p.m. Eastern, 8.45 p.m. Central Time for the second one. But again, that, that makes sense. That's just what you have to do. But you're going to essentially be able to watch that whole first half of the game Thursday night between Michigan State and Kansas State, and then you can flip over to the start of Arkansas-UConn while that game's at half. So I think it's, they've done, I was surprised by the time change, but I like it. I think it it bodes better for you to be able to watch these games more closely and, and larger chunks of them. And the later the game is, the better the ratings will do. But when was, when was Purdue and Fairleigh Dickinson? Was that late afternoon? That was uh, 710. That was a welcome. Something like that. I, the first night game was a Yes. Yeah. Put these games on earlier, Craig. Start them at 10 o'clock Eastern. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> the first game in Sacramento on Thursday uh, between, who was it? Um... Is it Northwestern Boise State? No, uh, it was Utah State and Missouri. I believe that was the first game there. That tipped off at uh, ten forty local time in Sacramento. Like that's a little early, don't what? you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So last Thursday. Oh, well, so, get it going. Let's get these sons of the bitches up. Ten forty local time, though. Like, are you even awake for that? I would hope so. It's almost 11 o'clock here, Sacking. Time for my nap. <laughs> go and get up at 6 or 7, get some shoot around in, get this stuff going, and let's go. 
So the East and the West regions are on Thursday. So we have Michigan State against Kansas State. 7 versus 3 in the East region. 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Central Time on TBS. Following that game, number 9 seed FAU against number 4 seed Tennessee. Tip time scheduled for 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central Time on TBS. Those games are being played in Madison Square Garden in New York. What do we think is going to happen here? I don't, I don't really want to pick against Izzo, but I, I kind of, I want to see this Kansas State run continue. Uh, what, what do we think of this Michigan State Kansas State game? Kansas State. Are you doing I, that just because you're married to a K State Wildcat fan? No, I can't. You know, Mar- Michigan State just isn't that good. They're just not. You no, know, Marquette scored sixty points. That's that's not getting it done. No. So, disappointing game for Marquette. Yep. Kansas State, I mean, they beat Kansas. I think that that, that was an upset. More people, I, I, I mean, more people picked Kentucky to be Kansas State. I'm pretty certain of that. Yes. yes. I'd be stunned if, if that wasn't the way it went down. So, yeah, nobody gives Kansas State respect because they're not usually here. So, yeah, beat Michigan State. They just, again, you don't like them. They haven't played well uh, for, for much of this season. So, and then, better team move on. and then number nine FAU against number four Tennessee. I'd love to see Florida Atlantic win, but the way Tennessee looked last week, I uh, I think Tennessee rolls in this one fairly easy, which would set up Tennessee versus Kansas State in the East final. Yeah, I'll pick Tennessee, but when it comes to these games, when you got no dog in a fight, you know I'll, I'll root for Kansas State hard. I think uh, Melissa's got them in the final four. So we need that to happen. If she gets that, that's a big, that big is boost for the bracket. Big feather and cap. And obviously, you know, you root for Florida Atlantic here because they've never been here. So um, even if the games don't have any meaning for your bracket, hopefully there's still uh, a big rooting interest. So I don't you know. Yes. Princeton, okay. Princeton coming up, that's – I won't be sad if Creighton loses because Princeton reaching the Elite Eight is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. What – just think of this though: we could have had a Sweet Sixteen matchup between Memphis and Tennessee. Like that, that would have been amazing. There and then in the West region, these are being played in Vegas. Uh, eight seed Arkansas against four seed UConn. Seven fifteen p.m. Eastern, six fifteen p.m. Central Time on CBS. And then three seed Gonzaga against two seed UCLA. Nine forty-five p.m. Eastern, eight forty-five p.m. Central Time on CBS, or you know, half hour after. The first game concludes. UConn was arguably the most impressive team of the of the first weekend. They uh, absolutely took care of business against Iona, and they they blitzed the St. Mary's. St. Mary's lost one of their uh, leading scorers to a back injury in the first half, but UConn looked awfully impressive. I think you know as good as Arkansas is, UConn I think is right right now is better. So I'm going to take UConn in that one, and then to me. There is no more of a toss-up game in the Sweet 16 than Gonzaga against UCLA. I'm going to go with UCLA here, but I don't say that with any degree of confidence at all whatsoever because you just you don't want to necessarily pick against Drew Timmy and the Zags, but uh, I'll go with Jaime Hawkes, Tiger Campbell, and, and the Bruins here. Gonzaga can score. I'll take UCLA. And uh, I've got Connecticut going to the Final Four, so I feel real good about that. I doubted them early on in the year. I learned my ways with Connecticut. So I think they'll beat Arkansas. 
Then on Friday, 6.30, oh, we have the South and the Midwest regions. The South region being played in Louisville, the Midwest region being played in Kansas City. So the South region at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Central Time on TBS. Number five seed, San Diego State against the one seed, Alabama. Then 30 minutes after that tip time, roughly 8 p.m. Central Time, 9 p.m. Eastern or so, 15 seed Princeton against the 6 seed Creighton. I'm going to go with Alabama here, but San Diego State does scare me a bit with the way they play defense and the way that offense looked last week. But Alabama, uh, there's a story, I tweeted it out, uh, something that seems to be corroborating Brandon Miller's side of the story in this whole um <laughs> This whole tragedy that's taken place down there in Tuscaloosa with that death of that 23-year-old mother. Um, that, I mean, he, his involvement is not nearly as as what we maybe thought it could have been. So there's something to be said for that, I think. But Alabama, I think, wins that one. And then, I, don't be shocked if Princeton wins, but I'm riding with uh, Baylor Shireman, Ryan Cockrenner, and uh, in the Creighton Blue Jays. Alabama Creighton should be a great game. Yeah, I just don't see Princeton beating Creighton, which isn't anything new. And you know, hopefully Alabama can get it done because they've got a pretty easy path here to the really to the championship game. Yeah. Because whoever comes out of that uh, East region, like are they going to play Tennessee? They're going to play Michigan State, Kansas State. Like Alabama should be in the championship game. Oh, absolutely. Their path just got so much easier uh, with what has taken place, you know, with Arizona losing and even in the East, too. You know, with, you know, they're going to be playing at at best a three seed in Kansas State. Like, that's the highest potential seed that you could possibly face. And then the Midwest, 7.15 p.m. Central Time, or Eastern, 6.15 p.m. Central Time on CBS, five seed Miami against one seed Houston. Then 30, is, this is Kansas, right? Kansas, Kansas City. Yeah, this is this is in Kansas City. Yes, Miami against Houston, and then this is, pretty, this is a pretty decent bracket here. Yep, and then Xavier, the three seed against two seed Texas, nine forty-five p.m. Eastern, eight forty-five p.m. Central Time, or thirty minutes after the end of the first game. Here, uh, I'm going Houston. I think Houston beats Miami. Miami good, but Houston's better. Get a little rest with Sasser and Shed this week. That'll help. This Xavier-Texas game is going to be outstanding, but I think Texas just a little bit better, play a little better defense. I think Texas prevails to set up that in-state uh, showdown up north in, in Missouri here between Houston and Texas. We're in agreement here on all these games, Houston and Texas. I've got Texas coming out of this thing, so hopefully they can get the job done. Seems like Houston's ready to lose. Really. Good, good second half versus Auburn, but boy, I mean, they, I mean, they almost lost to Northern Kentucky. That was not, that was an eleven-point game. You're right. That's not exactly an impressive performance. So, you know, Houston's plenty good, but I don't think they were they, they were at the Final Four last year, weren't they? Yes, yes, they were. No, no, two years ago they were. Well, um, so it's like they're not strangers to this, but no, okay, count me out on Houston. I think. Uh, Maybe my Xavier squad will show up, but uh, Texas Texas wins the region. Yeah, Houston lost to Villanova in the Elite Eight last year. Um, you know, if you're looking at who is left in these in, in this bracket, so we have three Big East teams. 
Uh, I, that was one of the predictions I said would happen, that we'd have at least three teams from the Big East in the Sweet 16, so that's good. They're three out of five. That's the highest percentage of teams with multiple t- sending, or with conferences sending multiple teams to the NCAA tournament. That's the highest percentage of teams that made it to the Sweet 16. Uh, you have three from the SEC, Alabama, Tennessee, and Arkansas. You have one from the Mountain West in San Diego State, one from the Ivy League in Princeton, one from Conference USA, Florida Atlantic, one from or two from the Big 12, Texas and Kansas State, only one from the Big 10 in Michigan State, one from the ACC in uh, Miami, one from the AAC in Houston, one from the West Coast Conference in Gonzaga, and then one from the Pac-12 in UCLA. So, what, I think that's 11 conferences that are... Um, that are that make up the Sweet 16, which is good. And I just have to say, looking at this East, like you, you talk about, oh, what the, the fan bases that are going to these regions and stuff. Well, the West, you have Gonzaga and UCLA. That's easy to get to for both of those fan bases getting to Vegas. Arkansas and UConn, a little further out, but, I mean, they'll still travel well. But that's going to be a hot ticket there in Vegas. Uh, the South, you know, Alabama can get up to Louisville pretty easily. Creighton, that's not too far away. San Diego State, Princeton, I don't know how many tickets you're going to be selling from each of those fan bases to Louisville. The Midwest, you got Texas and Houston. Xavier's not too far away. Miami will bring a few crowds. And then it's the East. You know, you're talking about going up to Madison Square Garden in New York. And who are you bringing with? Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Kansas State, and Michigan State. Michigan State will bring, by far, I think, the most fans there, but if anyone was like looking to try and sell their tickets, you know, maybe for a little bit more money, that's not happening in this region. That's just not an as appetizing of a region now with what we have compared to what it could have been, say, if Marquette advanced or can you know, Kentucky, Duke, uh. So the East region definitely, I think, is the most um, unappealing in terms of the, the the fan bases that are coming there. I don't buy ending up playing second. I wouldn't mind it. Uh, Allegiant Air, I don't know how good they are, but they've got direct flights from Sioux Falls to Vegas. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Very cheap. Was this says two hundred and thirty dollars round trip? Ooh, yeah. It's three hours, essentially. Again, they what their Pacific time? The mountain, I think. I think, I think Vegas is Vegas Pacific. They're, they're, they are Pacific. They are. Oh, that's it. I thought they were always mountain. So you get on the plane at noon. You're going to be there at one o'clock. Yeah. Due, due to the to the time warp that we live in, yep. it's going to take you one hour to get to Vegas, essentially. Three hours, but really only one. So, like, you know, that'd be exciting. You, you know, go there to, like, I think it'd be fairly easy and fairly cheap to go and yeah. see uh, what uh, Connecticut and Arkansas and then East Lake and Zega. Spend a few days in Vegas, get, a, get something for 100 bucks or so. Hotel room is not very cheap. You could... You could, I think you could, you could make that trip for, say, right around 500 Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be uh, you gotta get tickets. I guess tickets are the uh, thing I forgot about. So. Oh, you probably have yeah. to place a few bets at the local sports book there too. Yeah. I mean, while you're there, throw yeah. some money on the money. Right? Positive on the trip. So, like Vegas is not that far away. Direct flight. No. 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 It's you know, three hours slash one hour. So that is that's intriguing to like to do that quite often, but. Um, yeah, sure. I'm looking forward to these games. I get to watch some games, so that'll be good. I don't know if it's Houston and Texas, that should be great. Creighton, Alabama will be a great game, I think. Mm-hmm. That Connecticut and UCLA, something like that. And, um, yeah, like you said, the, the East region, the least exciting, but hopefully Florida Atlantic can make a run. But I think we're going to have you know, at least one team that's pretty odd in, the, in it, probably coming out of the East. The East region. Yep. And if the Creighton were to make it, that'd be unique. If you know, if Xavier were to make it, they usually don't make it this far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gonzaga, a year in which this is not anywhere close to their best team that they've had, but you know, they've got a shot here. So. Yep. Maybe Gonzaga's not their best team, but maybe maybe they can make it back. Yeah, that would be fascinating. To see them get there, I, yeah, we're, we're in for. Like I said, this has been a very unpredictable tournament, but we knew we knew chaos was going to happen. We just didn't know where it was going to happen, and I think you know the Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight will hopefully be very good. So looking forward to that. Anything else we need to get to regarding the NCAA tournament? No, it's a good tournament again. Yep. Oh, it, it delivers every year. Delivers every year. Uh, a few notes. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. oh, Roberts didn't show up either. No, oh my God, that's awful. Just, just awful. Um, Max Aidsmiss, not, not, not your finest hour. Uh, no. That that was bad. That was very bad. Um. So, just a few notes here on the women's tournament. Here we think you know the, all the upsets and stuff. You know the parity in college basketball on the men's side. Doesn't always seem that way on the women's side, but there are two one seeds that have bowed out already in the NCAA, uh, in the women's NCAA tournament, and one of those one seeds is not Virginia Tech. Uh, that would be Stanford losing to Ole Miss, and then uh, Indiana getting bounced by the Miami Hurricanes, uh, as we previously mentioned. Both those teams losing on their home courts again because of the way that the women's tournament is set up you know the the you have you know the top seeds have the home court for the first two rounds uh but that was i think really surprising there uh it sets up real well now that stanford's out for caitlin clark and iowa to make that run to the final four so hopefully we get that south carolina yukon uh should be right in the mix as well and for south dakota state um they ran just. They just ran into a buzzsaw in Virginia Tech. I mean, Virginia Tech was hitting threes all over the place. It seemed like whenever uh, SDSU made that made a run to cut it close, and they could have made a three, they missed it, and Virginia Tech would go right down and knock a three down on their own. It was like a six point swing. This happened multiple times. A lot of missed uh, layups, easy shots, bunnies. Uh, for the Rabbits, but um, glad they were able to beat USC in what I would deem one of the worst officiated games and longest games I can ever recall. Like This was just awful between the announcers who lacked energy and the um, 
the officiating. This was a bad, bad game between SDSU and USC in that first round. Glad SDSU won. Was hoping they could beat Virginia Tech. I'd say overall still a successful season. You just happened to run into a team that was shooting lights out. Um, I don't think they would do that again if they played or even if it was on more of a neutral site court. Um, but give Virginia Tech credit for for what they did. SDSU just didn't have enough firepower to be able to hang with them, though they did make a comeback, a valiant comeback in the second half. Just missed shots uh, that could have made it closer, and Virginia Tech would go right down and hit threes of their own. Clay just didn't get off to a good start. Where Virginia Tech was definitely beatable. You know, second half, I think, showed that. Yep. And, you know, Indiana's not used to being here, and Virginia Tech is not used to being here, so it's more wide open. But Stanford is. That like, was the real Stanford surprise. Like, Stanford losing that, that's the big stunner there, so. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting more of these upsets in, in the women's game, which is good, because tournaments are no fun when the top two teams always get to the championship. They're just not. Right. It's like, you, you want the two best teams to get there, but it Every time it's the ones and two seeds, they're like, well, that's no fun. Where's, where's the fives? Where's the ten seeds that get there once in a while? And yep. Well, that doesn't happen in the women's game, but there, there's getting more and more upset. Well, there's getting, I think you're right, because we had two 12 seeds win, Toledo won, Florida Gulf Coast won. I, I picked the Florida Gulf Coast upset in, in a, one of the brackets that I did. I think what you're seeing is it maybe not like the seeding, like, the seeds that make it to the NCAA Women's Tournament are more often than not the ones, the twos. Maybe you get a three in there every once in a while. But it's the it's the teams. that We're getting some different teams in there that are getting these seeds. It's not the Tennessees and the Yukons all of the time. Now, uh, and now we aren't going to get Stanford. Stanford's been a staple for a while. Ole Miss, though, the team that just beat Stanford, did take South Carolina to overtime a few weeks back. So, I mean, that's a... I think Ole Miss could maybe go on a run here, but I think this, like I said, I think this bodes really well for Caitlin Clark and Iowa to take advantage of this. And the final, the women's final four down in Dallas this year, it would be a huge, huge um, uh, ratings bonanza, I think, for them if Caitlin Clark is in there, uh, being able to play against South Carolina in that final four. You want the, it's not just the teams that make it, it's the stars, and Caitlin Clark is, I think, by far the, you know, Leah Boston's good at South Carolina, but Caitlin Clark is the most recognizable name in the sport of women's college basketball right now, and to have her in the final four in there, not just Iowa, but it's specifically Caitlin Clark, that would be great for the game. Yeah, because those two, I can't name you another women's college basketball player, so... That would be good. Boston, Kaylin Clark, and that would be about it. So, there was good news yeah. also announced last week that the University of Minnesota is hiring uh, Don Plitzowitz. Uh, I never pronounced her name right, but West Virginia's head coach, what? formerly U- what? She's a white lady. Uh, white. She's a white. Plitzowitz. White. Okay. Anyway, former USD coach, went to West Virginia for a year. Now she gets hired as uh, the head coach at the U of M, which 
fits there. They had never hired a male head coach, so that fits exactly what they've always kind of stood for. But this is a very good hire for the U of M getting Dawn there. She did great things at USD. She got West Virginia to the NCAA tournament. I think it's the first time ever in West Virginia women's basketball history that a head coach has gotten the Mountaineers to the NCAA tournament in their first year. I think I saw that correctly. Um, So that's great. I hope that now we get South Dakota State against Minnesota. I think Ah! You don't think that's going to happen? I bet Dawn would do it. No. You don't think so? Because they'd lose. They're going to do it. They, they probably would. Who but, was it? Uh, who's the other lady went down uh, Nebraska? We don't play Nebraska. Oh, Amy, Amy Williams. Well, Amy Amy's. Williams. Come up here to Frost Arena once. The will come down there. You want to come up here once in a while? She's, they don't want to play because we know we'd beat Nebraska. They don't scared. want to play Minnesota. But they know the game wouldn't be close. Well, well, we'll see if it happens. But either way, that's great news for Jackrabbit fans. For South Dakota State, that A.J. is staying. Uh, they're going to have a very good team again next year, even though no Maya Sellen. But you got Tori Nelson, uh, Callie Tyson, uh, of course, Paige Meyer, going to get more great recruits in. Um, so South Dakota State isn't going anywhere. Um, but it's just great that A.J. is staying. He'll never leave at this point. He'll be here for for the next 15 years. Everyone wants to keep coaching. Mm-hmm. You well, know, Maya Sellen wraps it up for her, and Paige Burkhart, she's done. So, mm-hmm. good, good careers for them. Another good season. You know, they were you know, almost too good. You want that twelve seed, eleven seed. You know, you want you want that seed. So you gotta be good, but not too good. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe it would have benefited Mo to lose like one or two some of the games this year. Maybe just one, mm-hmm. considering how number it was. Maybe they dropped to an 11 seed. Do we expect a, them had had to be a nine seed? I certainly didn't when the bracket because no one was talking about them being a nine seed. I the highest I saw was a 10 seed, but more was in the 10 11 range. Well, I mean, I mean they're certainly worthy of that and if we're talking if we're ranking teams based on how good they actually are probably i would say a seven seed based on just how good are you not who you play not who you be like just how good of a team are you and i would say i would probably a seven seed or so well if you're looking at where they were ranked in the um the coaches poll or the media poll they would be a seven seed a seven or an eight so it's a balance of your resume and your wins and losses versus just how good of a team are you. And you balance that out. And Yeah, being an eight or nine seed is the worst possible seed you can have, and we've seen that a couple times. But mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're more than capable of beating one of these number one seeds. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they played right with the best team in the country in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Like, they did not... They, they just got more size than SDSU and, and, and this and that, but and that went out in the end. But you feel like, oh, they're they're not overmatched. Other side may have more talent, this and that. But it's like, all right, let's play and find out. And when there's you know three four minutes left and it's a ten point game, you're like, well, this is the best team in the country, and we're we're within ten with like four minutes to go. It's like, yeah, they they can play they can play with anybody. I 
I really hope we can play Don Staley in, in South Carolina again at some point. I think that's something that Don Staley would do. I'm not sure if they'll ever get that with Gino Ariema and UConn. I mean, it is a bit ridiculous. Yeah, UConn's not coming here. Think how ridiculous it is, though. And, it, and, it, and probably there, there, like, there's no effect for South Carolina coming here. Like, they're not going to lose. And they, they apparently like coming to Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. But with the recruiting aspect of SDSU and Nebraska and SDSU and Minnesota, there's a little bit more at stake in that game, and SDSU would win those games more times than not. Mm-hmm. But think of how ridiculous it is that South Carolina is willing to come halfway across the country to play SDSU and USD, but neither Nebraska or Minnesota are willing to do so. Right. I, 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 I'm going to guess it's not on the SDSU end of things. Oh, no, absolutely not. They received a call. They hey, you want to play? They were like, yeah, we'll play because we play anybody. Mm-hmm. We'll play UCLA. We'll play South Carolina. It's those other schools that don't want to play. Because they know they'll lose. Yeah, it's like, all right, we know you're not better than them because the one team always makes the NCAA tournaments. Like, if you're those teams, like, don't you want to prove, hey, let's go. Let's go after South Dakota State. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows how good they are. If we lose to them, it's not a big deal. They're out recruiting us in the first place. They're yeah. getting better players than us. They're a better team than us. They're a better coach than us. So let's go after a team that's dominated the upper Midwest for the past 15 years. And see if we can maybe upset them on a good night. Right. Then we can all say, hey, you should come to Minneapolis. You should come to Lincoln. We're, we're better than SDSU. But that's not the way they think even when the coaches that they played end up in Vermillion. Go, and I think she's what, making $800,000 now for the Gophers. So good pay raise for her. But like at some point, like how much money do you get? Well, and I just – I think I mentioned this – Last week or the week before, you, know, you 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 think about where SDSU is getting these 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 players, mainly from South Dakota. You have a few from Iowa, Minnesota. I mean, it's the it's the Midwest. Uh, Tylee Irwin from Wapaton was was a big one, I think, because I don't remember the last player from North Dakota that SDSU got, and for her to come, you know, not even to you know NDSU or UND, for her to go. You know, across the border into South Dakota to go to SDSU, that was big. But look at where AJ's getting some of these players. He doesn't always he doesn't get all of the players from Minnesota in the cities. Um, I mentioned Paige Myers from Albany. That's 15 minutes away from St. Cloud to the north. I mean, that's not right. That's a town of 3,000. I mean, it's it's not a big town at all. Uh, that the Mathewitz girl, a freshman, she's from Sleepy Eye. That's like 1,500 people. So it's not that he's going into the cities. He's just getting the great recruits at the, at some of these smaller schools within within the state as well. So it's again, he does he go into the cities? Yes. Uh, Tori Nelson's from Mendota Heights, I think. Um, I mean, we've seen him go into the cities and get some of these great players. I mean, we've seen gals from Sioux Falls and and whatnot, but. He's going to these smaller cities too, these smaller schools within Minnesota to get these players. So that again, it just speaks to 
finding the right talent wherever it is. And that right now for SDSU is just in the upper Midwest because they have such a stranglehold on this region as being the best team within the four-state area, the Dakotas, Minnesota, and Iowa. And, held Nebraska, too. He's a great recruiter of talent. He knows who's going to be good. He knows what type of player he wants. He knows who's going to fit. He's, he's the best coach that school's ever had. Mm-hmm. You can go back to 1889. Yep. Aaron Johnson is the best coach of any sports that there's ever been at South Dakota State. Yep. But anybody, Stiglmeyer, but anybody that we've heard of, anybody from 100 years ago and in between, he's the best. And they've got so many people coming in. Yes. People that, I mean, a lot of people that I've seen across South Dakota, which is exciting. And yeah, they're going to be good. As long as, as long as he's there, they're going to be good. So, For sure. For sure. Um, other head coaching news, going back to the men's uh, side of things, huge news out of the Big East. Um, our guy, Ed Cooley, is no longer at Providence. He goes to Georgetown. Apparently, Ed Cooley's like a Providence guy. He was born in Providence, or raised in Providence. Like so, that was his school. The allure, the allure of trying to get Georgetown back to what they were must have been so great. Because I guess the salary is that has been reported is not that much greater um, that he's getting paid on average. Now I'm guessing incentives and you know bonuses and whatnot will jump that will bump that up there. But Ed Cooley going to Georgetown. You know, within the conference, that is a, a that I think raised a few eyebrows. Um, it's just a little surprising that he would leave Providence. Um, so good luck to Ed Cooley at Georgetown because Patrick Ewing couldn't get it done. But Ed Cooley, we love the guy, and I think he's going to do. I think he can do good things at Georgetown, but it's going to take time. This is not a, a overnight rebuild. This will take multiple years to get Georgetown back to where they need to be. Yeah, you feel like he achieved as much as he could at Providence. I think seven NCAA tournaments in 12 years. That's pretty good. good. Because Providence wasn't anything before he got there. They were not very good for a long time. And he did as much for them as he could have. Mm -hmm. They kind of, sweet 16 is about as far as they could probably go. Mm -hmm. So, a new challenge, I guess, and you know Georgetown. They've got some history, but they have just been among the worst, worst Power Five teams, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. in the last couple years. So, yeah, it's going to take some time there, but good, good luck to our guy Ed Cooley because that's going to be that stuff. It is. I saw one of the names get floated for the uh, Providence job. Uh, DJ no, that's oh, uh, Tim Miles. Absolutely, anybody should hire him. What isn't that? I mean, talked a couple weeks ago. Like any anybody from literally any program in the country should hire him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it would just be weird. You know, he's been at San Jose State for one year now, but to yeah. go all the way cross country from California to Rhode Island. Um, arguably, the cost of living probably isn't going to be that much higher uh, or that much lower in Rhode Island than California. Rhode Island's a pretty expensive state to live in. 
Um, but, uh, you know, he was named head coach of the year in the Mountain West Conference for a reason. I mean, he made San Jose State competitive right away. So that was a name to watch for. And then Rick Pitino, he is, he's going from Iona to St. John's. Um, I mean, he knows the Big East. He coached at Providence. Uh, the St. John's has plenty of history. Rick Pitino knows the New York City area. Uh, he's old. He's got some baggage with him. You know, he's had some issues in the past. But I, I think the Red Storm are going to be awfully scary here in a in a year or two with Rick Pitino at the helm. Uh, he'll get plenty of recruits. He wants to play all conference games at Madison Square Garden. So it's just that, it's just that vision and that like. Yes, this is what we're going to do. Like he knows exactly what he wants to. He he can get the players. He got great players to come to Iona, uh, which isn't too far away. I think it's like you know it's in New Ro- uh, New Rochelle, New York, which isn't that far uh, away from New York City. I think it's on like Staten Island or something like that. But he's going to get plenty of good players to come to St. John's. So I think St. John's is going to be a far scarier team. I would say out of the two hirings. Uh, Rick Pitino at St. John's is going to have far greater success than Ed Cooley will at Georgetown, and certainly faster for Pitino at St. John's than Cooley at Georgetown. Rick Pitino's 70, signed a six-year deal. Why was he coaching at Iona? Uh, because he was he was coaching in Greece, if I recall. Uh, because what was he had before that? Uh, Louisville, if I recall correctly. Why, why did Louisville get rid of him when he... Um, oh, I think... He, didn't he win a national title at Louisville? He did, but I think there were some scandals and stuff that were going why on at Louisville. Why in the hell would they get rid of Rick Hall of Fame Rick Pitino? I just... St. John's, they can do whatever the hell they want. I just want to mention... Three things that he did. Yes, please. I, that's why I said there's some baggage. So he's a great well, coach, but there's baggage. Soon after winning the entire thing, I'll just read this. During his time at Louisville, it was revealed that Patino had an affair with a woman and paid $3,000 for her to have an abortion. Wow. Uh, Karen Cipher was her name. Uh, she was the wife of the Louisville equipment manager. Uh, Louisville elected to keep him as head coach despite the morality clause in his contract so having an affair with your equipment manager's wife and then having her have an abortion not enough to fire Rick Pitino that had to have been what like a 30 year gap or maybe like a 20 it had to be 20 to 25 year difference in age too right at least, because he was what, probably 60, 60 at the time, probably. And then uh, another scandal involving penises. Uh, former Louisville player and director of operations and Andre McGee provided improper benefits to current and uh, recruits that Louisville were hoping to get that include strippers and prostitutes from 2010 to 2014. Don't don't have uh, don't have Noah coming here. This and then um, so that's what he did. Yeah, it's like 
Iona hired him. St. John's hires him. If he does something, I mean, he's 70. If he does something great at St. John's, is there another jump up, one final jump up? No, I can't. I can't imagine. There was another, uh, what, Payne recruits. That was the last scandal of yep. uh, recruits with $100,000 or so, which I'm sure happens everywhere. But what a deal. Like, how, like, if you had a son and he was being recruited by Rick Pitino and, 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 and you and wife were sitting down and you saying, you know what, we're going to send him to wherever the school's at. Yep. No, no, no one's good enough. He can go anywhere. Let's say St. John's is really good too. But you know, he can go there. He can make a Final Four. I'm sure people don't care. People probably don't even know. Some people, you know, this is not that long ago, and obviously people at Iona didn't care because he was good enough to get them to the tournament a couple times. Mm-hmm. Like none of this matters if you're good enough. None of you can, you can do anything. There's no repercussions. There's repercussions for a time. But then you fast forward six, seven years. I was right, basically back to where he used to be. So I'm sure there were. Look at every Bobby Petrino too. You know, uh, yeah, like, oh, I, I can do this. I can have an affair with this person. This and that. It don't matter. I'll be right now. I'll start over. I'm good enough to get back to where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And six, seven, eight years later, look at me. Here I am, back to where I wanted to be. So. Yeah, college sports, sports, dirty business, but just ridiculous. And the head coach now at Iona is going to be Tobin Anderson, who was the head coach at uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. Just pulled off that 16 over a 1 upset of, over Purdue in the NCAA tournament. And, and, he said, and he said before the game that we can beat Purdue. Yeah. The more I watch it, the more I think we can win. Yep. And people look at that and think, oh, he's fucking ridiculous. And then they actually go out and they beat him. Like, oh, yeah, we can beat Purdue. Jamie Erdahl in the interview, in the post-game interview after that was sensational. Um, I watched it. I could not hear what they were saying, but it looked good. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the milkshake deal with uh, Shaka Smart after their win over Vermont, that was that was good as well. She did good work. Um, so... Minnesota girl, so appreciate Jamie Erdahl uh, and her work. She does, she does great work on Good Morning Football, too. Um, and then, so Tobin Anderson now goes from Fairleigh Dickinson to Iona. And then just one final note for me on the college basketball front, because we're talking about the Northeast Conference. News broke yesterday, that or on Monday, that St. Francis College in Brooklyn, the Terriers, never made it to the NCAA tournament before, men's or women's. They're ceasing athletic operations. Uh, the right. athletic department is is no longer going to exist after the spring semester of 2023. So following this spring, there will be no more athletics at St. Francis uh, in Brooklyn. They have cited uh, COVID as a as a reason for this, not the sole reason, but it is you know not like. It's just, it's sad when you when you're kind of seeing all of this start to unfold and you know Hartford you know just made it to the NCAA tournament a couple years ago uh, they 16 seed lost to Baylor uh, they are they're going to D three like they just 
they just up and went from D1 to D3, and now you have St. Francis uh, Brooklyn going to cease operations entirely on the athletics uh, side. I think you fear that maybe some more of these smaller colleges, especially it seems to be more like the like, well, St. Francis is more of a liberal arts college or whatever that you could see more of these start to go down. Maybe it's just you know kind of specific to the Northeast right now, but what's to say that doesn't happen more in you know on the West Coast or does it spread to the um, Midwest, does it hit Division Two? does it hit Division Three? So I think it, it's just something to monitor here, but we might see a few more of these D1 programs now starting to either have to uh, deregulate or you know go down a division or two. Um, Western Illinois is one that comes to mind. I know that's been discussed a couple of different times over the years. Um, but just something to monitor here because it, it, it's sad when an entire college ceases uh, af- operations on the athletic department side because that is, you know, some people may not be tied to sports, um, but it is a way to unite and rally in an entire um, community and fan base and, and, and just a school community there like how many people are just going ecstatic over Princeton making it making this run to the sweet 16 or fairly Dickinson look what they did St. Peter's and whatnot sports has that great way of connecting and uniting people and having pride in your school and university I mean I there's so many people who are have so much pride now with you know South Dakota State because of that FCS championship they won by beating North Dakota State. And, you know the women have been so successful in the NCAA tournament. The men have gotten there a lot of times. It's just like you, it, look at what happened wrestling this last week. You had a guy make it to, lose in the national championship round, and so wrestling's on the on the upswing here too. Like South Dakota State's become a premier wrestling program. Arguably, athletics does that and just gives you so much fandom. I think for a lot of people, so much pride. And when you lose that whole thing, it's like what what ties you now to that university that you could be like, oh yeah, I went to St. Francis Brooklyn. Okay, cool. Like, who gives a shit now? Like, <laughs> I mean, you watch these conference tournaments and just these high school gyms that they play in, specifically in the Northeast. Yes. And they're just awful. And you go down south and some of these, you know. Lexington, Kentucky. (laughs) It's just bad. Like, you know, what what South Dakota State has done, they've thrown a lot of money and stuff in facilities. Just because you do that doesn't mean you're going to be good. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, they've gotten good players and good recruits and it's ended up working out. They've got good coaches. They've made good decisions. But... It's, it's a large number of schools that are just awful. That none of them make any money. If it wasn't for the NCAA tournament and mm-hmm. moving up that money, like none of them would make anything. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about these teams. Nobody cares about these schools. Nobody shows up to these games. Nobody's got a Sanford Health type company to throw tens of millions of dollars at you. Mm-hmm. Got that? That's the big thing. But more schools should probably go that route to say, "Hey, athletics are cool. Maybe we'll get lightning in a bottle one year and 
know, make a sweet 16 out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Probably that ain't going to happen. So, yeah, but I mean, more schools should do that and say, you know what, it's not worth having a team because financially it doesn't make sense. We're not successful and ultimately it doesn't, doesn't matter to our bottom line because we're would, so small. I would love to see a study, though, done in terms of what um, – it helps. So, like, if you make a run of the tournament, it certainly helps. Well, look at Florida Gulf Coast when they made that run ten years ago. Um, applications shot up like almost; they almost doubled. I mean, you well, when, when you get schools that go on these magical runs, and and you know, then people start to hear your name more, and, and not like, where the hell is this school at? Like, how many people knew where Fairly Dickinson was? I did, but that's because I'm weird. I knew they were in New Jersey, um, but it, it draws so much attention now. So where does that attention get to? So you get applicants and you get all that additional money brought in from students and enrollments and everything. So the applicants and enrollments, when you don't have athletics to do that, where's the spotlight necessarily shown on your university? Unless you are going there specifically for a, a program like pharmaceutical like pharmacy or um aerospace whatever like it could be a specialized thing medical school something like that that's going to be the draw for some of those students to go there for that specific program and not the athletics but to the average joe you might not hear of any of that you could just go to any ho-hum you know any ho-hum average school in your area to get whatever major you want unless it's truly specialized you're not going to recognize some of these schools if they don't have an athletic department and they don't you know have these if they aren't playing basketball and have a shot at the ncaa tournament so i'd be very curious to see you know by cutting athletics out what that's going to do to enrollment and revenue and profits for the university because i can't imagine it's going to help Maybe maybe I'm wrong, like, but like, if, if you can have an athletic program, can you just have basketball? Well, so sure. Yeah. We only sport, we don't want football because it's too expensive. Yep. We don't want any other sport because you can't make money at any other sports. The only sport we want to sponsor is men's and women's basketball. Would they allow? I don't know why they. I'm sure there's certain sports that you have to a certain number of sports that you have to have to join conferences. I suppose there's there's got to yeah. be some rule out there. But if I'm, if it is possible, I would say, you know what, I want a men's team and a women's team. I don't want football. I don't want hockey. I don't want golf, gymnastics, tennis, volleyball. I don't want any other sport. I want I want two basketball teams, and that's all I want. Yeah. You can take both that way and, and prop those teams up. But, like Tennessee State, if they, like, they're bad at everything. Their, their, their men's team... Was okay this year. What the hell did they? Do? Yeah, they were like a three seed or something in the. Um... You know, they're they're fine. Um, and they've had plenty of NFL players, and they got a good football tradition. And you know, Eddie George is their coach now. They're still terrible. Their men, you know, their men were eighteen and fourteen, mm-hmm. ten and eight in the conference. That's perfectly acceptable. Women's basketball somehow made the NCAA tournament a few years after I left, which. I mean, they were good, but that was a big surprise. Last year, they were 11-18, and and I can't imagine the team actually beat 
They beat Fisk. They beat Trebek and Nazarene. Uh, they beat Omaha. They beat Lipscomb. They beat Wilberforce. Never heard of Wilberforce before. That's a new one. Uh, for some reason, they won a forfeit over Lindenwood. I don't know what the fuck happened there. Probably COVID. Probably. So, the women's basketball has been terrible for the most part, 11 and 18. Uh, they fired their football coach a couple years ago. He was solid. Their football team has been absolutely atrocious under Eddie George for, what, a year or two now. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, they play Notre Dame. Start next year. They won four games last year. Back in 2021, they were 5-6. and six. So Wasn't it again, bad, too, when you can't even put the attendance for games, like in the box score? For, for, for football, like the thing about for football is they play, you know, at, at, at Nissan Stadium for the Titans. Yep. And they'll get some big crowds because they'll go to Memphis for, like, the Heritage Classic and play Jackson State or some other school. And, mm-hmm. Like, they'll get, like, you know, 30,000 uh, 30, people to show up for some of these HBCU games. Yep. So it's an interesting thing, but but they just lose money hand over fist, and they're just one of hundreds of schools you could say that about. So I've just pulled up a random game here: Ten, uh, Stetson against Tennessee State. This is from December eleventh. Uh, basketball. Yep, for women's basketball, Stetson won sixty-seven sixty-five. Care to guess the attendance? It's at Tennessee State? At Tennessee State, yep, in Nashville. It's not neutral site. Um, I'm going to imagine whatever they actually put in there is probably half of what it actually was. 338 was the attendance. That is. I'd be, I'd be surprised if 338 people actually came to watch the game. That is 4% of the capacity of the Gentry Center where they play that, where the capacity of 8,000. So, large building. to your point... You know, like what, what is the point of having women's basketball during it? Three hundred people show up to a game. But you, any, but any you, but because of Title IX, you can't have fewer women's sports than men's sports. I think you need men's and women's basketball to, because you never know when that that can improve. Especially, you know, be, basketball has become such a a fixture and has become such a you know, it, it's a growing sport in terms of popularity and how good the players are, especially it, it, it's getting that way on the women's side more and more each and every year. Um, so I think you need men's and women's basketball. It's, it's just about building the programs. You need to be able to find the right coaches to do that. If you get the right coaches that lay the foundation, that lay the culture, yes, they will go on to bigger and better jobs. Look at what Tobin Anderson just did at FDU. He was Division Two last year. He gets a D1 jump to the NEC to Fairleigh Dickinson, and now he's going to Iona in the MAC. In the MAC. Um, so you, you get that, but if you can lay that establishment, that culture, and then the, eventually that will lead to better facilities and that leads better players and then better teams and those better teams then get to better facilities so it's it's all about the building blocks and how you do that and being part of the conference that you're in will help bring in that revenue so the bigger the like, like, look at you know butler went on a hell of a run now butler's in the big east yes well that's a huge jump up for them yes and they have not been good here for the past couple of years. And they will probably never do what they did 10 years ago. But they're still making way more money in the Big East than they were in the Horizon. 
So, so that a good, ultimately a good long term move for them. Yes. Yep. So that's you what. At, you, know, you look at Florida Gulf Coast had a good fifteen seed, had a good run, and they had a spike in uh, enrollment and all that. But, yep. And with the conference shifting, I'm sure a lot of these teams are in better spots conference wise. Yep. Davidson in 08, but Steph Curry went on a good run. Yes. Yep. Virginia Commonwealth is in the 810. So, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, teams that make runs yep. have a shot to, to improve themselves long term. Loyola Chicago was yeah. in the horizon, I believe, and then moved to the Missouri Valley a step up, and now they're in the A10. Yeah. And that's just recent. That's within the last decade. They've made two conference jumps, I believe. If you do that, though, you're never any good anymore. Well, that's the that's the the key in all of it. Well, and I don't. You know what? If Porter Moser doesn't leave Loyola this last year to go to Oklahoma, I think this is his first year at Oklahoma. Loyola does better in the A10 this year than what they they did um, under Denzel Valentine. I like so. It, it'll take. I think it always takes a little bit of an adjustment when you're moving into a new conference, especially if it's better, if it's um, better competition and better teams in there. So I think Loyola Chicago will get there, but it's a combination. You're playing better teams. You might lose a coach. So yes, we're we're jumping up that conference, but if we're losing certain pieces, we're not going to be as competitive. So that's in. That's kind of where the the talk stems with South Dakota State and even North Dakota State too. On you want to make that jump to the Missouri Valley, but then do you you know you're going to leave the the Summit League tournament in Sioux Falls? You're going to leave you know the the dominance in the Summit League to what maybe the average in the Missouri Valley might catch lightning in a bottle once or twice in a great while, but you're not going to be that consistent winner. It, it's it's tough, but you you could make more. You'll make more money in the Missouri Valley. It's it's very difficult. It's a difficult balance, and I think that's where athletics in general are kind of struggling. And certainly, the the COVID pandemic has hit various areas uh, within uh, upper education in general. Four year universities are struggling as a whole to retain. Students for uh, to keep their enrollment levels up. You're seeing more of the community colleges and the tech schools. Kelsey works at a tech school, and their enrollment down a little bit, but still up greater than say St. Cloud State or other schools around here. So, it the upper education in general has is shifting, but maybe this is. It just will take a little bit of time because of COVID. I don't know, but it still goes back to, I guarantee you, like a lot, I bet you North Carolina gets a lot of students to apply there because of basketball. Like they, they like the basketball team. That's in part why you go in addition to the programs. But you you want to be part of that team. That's an allure to some students. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these small schools, like, they'll never get that that big thing. They're chasing the big tournament win. Yep. And they'll never get it. And, like, and as soon as a 16-seed wins, like, well, we won, but our coach also is going to leave us in literally two days. Yes. Yeah. Like, we'll lose our next game on a Saturday, then by Monday our coach is going to take a job somewhere. Mm-hmm. So 
at that time, I mean, it's, it's amazing how quick it happens. Uh, you go into the week, like if you're a coach, like if I win a game here, I'm going to get a new job next week. Right. We're probably double what I'm making right now. So that's incredible. And like UMBC, like where are they at right now? They pulled off the big upset, beating Virginia. And I haven't heard of them since. Their Twitter sounds great, but that's... It's a a cool moment, but... I'd say ultimately athletics... Athletics and budgets probably don't work for 80, 90% of the schools out there. It just just doesn't work for them, unfortunately. they feed off of I mean, the the other the, the top echelon schools within their respective conferences to help feed the bottom line for all these other ones. The the Argus had a story. I didn't read it, of course, because nobody reads the Argus Leader anymore. Because they literally don't have a single person on their sports staff. Yeah, Matt Zimmer gone. Gone, and he was the last guy there. But they had some about the last USU and USD get a lot of money from state-funded stuff and this funded stuff, like it's some revelation or something. So I don't know if they thought they were uncovering something, but it's not. I don't think it's news. It might be news to some people. And I haven't read it. It's like, yeah, they get subsidized a lot through states, uh, state money for the school in general. And I would think that would be the same for public schools in virtually every state. And the NCAA for athletics. It's like, yeah, this is how this works. Yeah. So, Educating the public. Yeah, they are. Here's, here's, here's how these universities function. Somehow they can't function on their own. Even though they charge you ridiculous amounts for everything. Mm-hmm. They still need tens of millions of dollars just to stay open. Yeah. Very true. That's how they can get those scholarships to students. Yeah. Um. Anything else we need to get to? I know there's NFL free agency that's been going on and, and whatnot, but anything else we need to get to before we uh, say so long for the week? Got baseball next week. You got the uh, World Baseball Classic final this tonight. You might watch that. Ah, Japan and the U.S., yes. Japan and the U.S., so people seem to like it despite guys getting hurt, so people seem to be into the baseball thing, so... So the, the regular season starts next week, so we're going to have to have our baseball preview wow. next week, aren't we? Yes, we are. Holy shit. You got, yeah, uh, got you got drafts coming up? I got three of them on Sunday. Holy cow, you will be busy. One at three o'clock, which I only need to draft four players. So that's not bad. Oh, okay. Uh, Keeper League, I'm guessing, or Dynasty yeah. League? Yeah. So one, one's at six o'clock. I've got six keepers, and that should take about an hour. And then we got another one at seven. The Schottenberg League that should take at least three, three and a half hours, and that's a brand new team every year. So that's the okay. most substantial and time-consuming. Are you still doing the one with Dust V, where you can the winner gets a jersey of their choice? Well, yes, that's my six o'clock draft, and I, I don't think I made the playoffs last year. The disappointing year. Mm-hmm. I like my team. I've got six keepers. I've got some guys I like. So. It's, uh, we're getting there, we're, what, a week away, 10 days away from baseball, so. All right. Well, we're we'll, ready to go. We'll talk about your teams next week. We'll do a pre a season preview that's uh, rapidly snuck up on on me and I think on a lot of people here. We'll, we'll talk about the NCAA tournament. We'll preview the Final Four. 
talk about any other free agency notes, maybe things that the Vikings do. Maybe the Vikings make a big splash with the trade and stuff. I did see. I don't I just leave with this here. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, uh, draft analyst for NFL Network, he's kind of taken over the Mike Mayock role the, when Mayock left for to do the GM job for the Raiders, and Daniel Jeremiah does a great job. I don't know if you saw this, but he unveiled his uh, mock draft 3.0 uh, on Tuesday this week. You know, we have the Vikings. all the quarterbacks that I love in this draft, I'm sure I will be ecstatic at who he has the Vikings picking. Yeah, 23. You care to guess who he has him picking? Anthony Richardson should go like in the top five. Uh, will Levis sucks. I'm sure he'll go in top ten. If, if we're picking your guy from Fresno State in the goddamn first round. No. Um, what position do you think he has him going with? It should be quarterback or receiver. You said like quarterback, right? Not corner, yeah. quarter. Yeah, it should be uh, defensive backs or receivers. I mean, if they pick a receiver, that would get me excited. He has him taking I'll, a he has him taking a QB at twenty three. Well, you've got it's not Bryce Young. It's not. It can't be any of those first two guys I mentioned. I can't imagine. Um. Fresno State guy, just no. Like who? Who the hell else is there? Might might I intrigue you by Hendon Hooker? No. Oh, okay. What is he? Twenty five, for Christ's sake. He's older, but you get to sit behind uh, uh, Kirk Cousins for a year. You got to. I can't imagine he'll go in the first round. He's Hendon Hooker. Like we're gonna take a guy who's. Older, and you sit him a year. I yeah, I know. How about no this? Like, Why your Fresno State guy in the third round? And sure. How about how about this? How about some uh, some Twitter fodder has been going on? Uh, the, one of these Viking Twitter accounts, whatever, uh, has said that because you know, DeAndre Hopkins is available in a trade, potentially from the Cardinals. What would you say about trading the number twenty three pick? And Dalvin Cook to Arizona for DeAndre Hopkins in pick 34. So we move down 11 spots. Get DeAndre and give up Dalvin. I would say keep Dalvin, give up a fifth rounder, and get DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> well, that's a possibility. Brandon Cooks just got traded to the Cowboys for a fifth rounder this year and a sixth round next year. So I mean, what's that get? Well, since doesn't make. I can get a pretty good receiver for a fifth-round pick. Uh, somebody that's going to be a nobody. Here's the here's the 170th pick in the draft. Or here's Brandon Cooks, who should get a thousand yards. Yep. Like I, yeah, I'll, I'll take DeAndre Hopkins. I'll give you a, I'll give you a fifth rounder. Yeah. Would be nice. Would be nice. We'll see how it all goes. Uh, anything else we need to get to? Should be good. All the basketball. I'm glad I'm done. I get a week to rest, for God's sakes. Yes. Yes. So, um, His wife is glad about that, too. His wife is glad about it, too. We're eating some pork. So. Oh, very good. Yeah. There's no more baseball. We're ready to go. All right. Very good. I don't know what's on the supper menu for us, but we'll figure it out. Uh, you have a great rest of your week. Rest up. No traveling for you. Uh, just enjoy. Watch the basketball. Good luck with your drafts on Sunday, and we'll talk about it all next week, my friend.
All right, I'll see you later. All right, good luck, Melissa, with the rest of your bracket. Go K-State. Wildcats! I'm glad the Wildcats beat the Wildcats. That, that was big, just like the Tigers beat the Tigers. So. Very good. It's a good day. It was a good day. Uh, not great for Kent State, but good for K-State. And, and, and Kansas lost, so people like that. That also makes me very happy. Well, that's that's true, too. Well, we more happy. What a great yeah. weekend for you. Kansas loses Saturday. K-State wins on Sunday. Oh, It was a weekend to remember. It sure <laughs> was. Sure was in the Little Apple. Sure was. All right, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. <laughs> Travis Crins and Melissa joining me here on Sports Block Podcast. Great stuff, as always. Tons of uh, talk regarding the NCAA tournament, uh, coaching news, and the like. Uh, not a huge, not a lot going on NFL free agency. That we, we talked about it last week. There were a lot of big deals uh, that went down. Well, was it last week? Yeah, I guess it was. We didn't really talk about it. We talked, we talked some of these deals that went down. Aaron Rodgers going to be traded to the, the Jets at some point. Um, Adam Thielen goes to Carolina. Um, but we're heavily focused here on college basketball. And the baseball season next week snuck up on me. That's for dang sure. Uh, snuck up on a lot of people, I have to imagine. So we'll, we'll have a big baseball preview next week. We'll talk about Sweet 16 Elite 8, preview of the Final Four, and so much more. So um, you can find this podcast available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Just search Sports Block. Follow me on Twitter at Andy Stacken. Facebook, Nathan Stacken. Travis Krenz on Twitter at Travis Krenz. A link to the podcast posted middle to later part of each week. So baseball preview next week. Hockey playoffs are in April, so Marcus Traxler will will be back to, to talk about that. We'll talk about the NBA playoffs. April, the big uh, Jeff Lloyd the second, of course, will be back. Uh, we'll be talking a lot on the NFL draft in the month of April. So no rest for the weary here. We have so much to talk about here. So glad you listened this week. Hope you enjoyed the podcast last week. It, uh, one of our favorite ones that we do all year. So much to get to in the next few weeks. So yeah, you. Just sit back and and relax, and we'll take you through it all here. So for Travis and Nathan and Melissa and Noah, who made a brief appearance but wasn't on the podcast, he just needed to open up a Popsicle for him. By the way, his Oral Roberts Kent State pick didn't work out. But you know what? He's he's doing okay. We'll we'll get better here on the picks as the the years go by. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis and, and Melissa, I'm Nathan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the Sweet 16. Enjoy the Elite Eight. Good luck with your bracket. And we'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.